Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mike. We got Josh and Tim here in the booth with me today. What's going on, guys? <laughs> they had a little stare off. There. They weren't sure who was going to talk first. Mm-hmm. They, uh, I have these different headphones on, so I sound I sound different today. You do? Well, yeah. you don't sound different to me. You sound very, very normal. It's warm. We got uh, warm weather here in Columbus. Yeah, it it's is not, beautiful. It's not warm. It's 44 <laughs> yeah. degrees outside. Uh, that's warm It to me. is not subarctic temperature. The Padres signed Fernando Tatis Jr. for a 14-year about deal. About a bajillion dollars, For too. about a bajillion dollars. How do you get that name right? You get half our guest names wrong. <laughs> because it's Spanish, and it's like it's a- He's you know, from it's, San Diego. Oh, San yeah. Diego. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> I, well, I grew up around- you know, a lot Did of, you? A lot you of Latino people. Did you actually lived in San Diego before no. coming to Columbus? No, actually I didn't. No. If uh, we ever yeah. took a company trip, it would have to be to San Diego. Would it be? So would it be not we should do an on the location. craziest thing to ever happen if I told you guys I've been lying my whole life <laughs> and I'm not actually from San You're Diego. From I'd like just Akron. say it to be cool. It wouldn't surprise me. Okay, well, there you go. Be a long, boring con. So now that you guys know a little bit about me, uh, I'm from San Diego, in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> hold on, hold on, time out. For a long, boring con, I got to go in for you real quick. It's going to be too long for an intro, but... So I got a buddy back home who it was like he was in high school. He'd get home and he would get home like an hour before his mom would. And he would always call her work and he would open, they would, they would answer and he would just meow for like 60 seconds. And he did it for like a year and a half straight. And they never, they, it made them so mad. They never knew who it was. And one day he was at home and he picks up the phone and somebody else had called and he's just screwing with them. He starts meowing and is like clicks for his mom. And he's like, she's like, you son of a. <laughs> just like all of a sudden, he was going to do it and nobody was ever going to find out. So he, he just, just did it every day it. for like a year. But he yeah. blew it. <laughs> but no, he did. That was just like the funny, like the long game of nobody ever figuring out. And you just did it out of your pure sick satisfaction. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's funny. That's dark. If you do a joke like that yeah. for no one. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, just for them to maybe suffer. Maybe at some point we should talk about the guests we're interviewing or the no. interview that you guys are going to be listening to today. So uh, on, on this episode of the show, we're talking with Steve Lekas and he is the uh, co-founder and CEO of Branch Insurance. Really interesting guy, and man, the dude knows his insurance history. Yeah, he knew every story about every insurance company's origins and who owned it and where it came from. It was really entertaining. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I never thought it, insurance would be so entertaining. Yeah, I mean, he could do a full podcast just on the history of insurance, yeah. I think. But uh, you guys will get the the brief overview in this episode. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you learn a lot, as always. But uh, appreciate you tuning in every week, and we'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Their conquerors, Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that. Live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24-7-365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. As always, I am your co-host, Mike. We got the full crew again today. What's up, Tim and Josh? How you guys doing? Doing well, man. Cold. You look tired, Tim. You looking, Dude, I'm, I'm looking a little I'm, worn out. Yeah, I had a rough week. You're supposed to feel 
rested from the weekend, but mm-hmm. I feel as if I went through war. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't do that much. I drove to Michigan, watched the Super Bowl, drove back. This is, this is old, I guess. Yeah. Why yeah. did you drive to Michigan for the Super Bowl? So my buddy, one of my best friends, moved there, and it was either watch it at home on my couch or watch it at home on his couch, and it seemed a little bit less sad to not watch it alone. And also, sports betting is legal in Michigan, and it's not in mm-hmm. Ohio. Mm-hmm. So, did you win your bet? I did. Nice. I did pretty well. You take the you took the bucks plus the points. Or I no? did not. No, I did Straight prop up. bets. Prop bets. So oh, you can, you can prop bets. yeah, you can bet on individual. Did you bet on the streaker? No, but did you see the streaker from the? I did not. So the shortest story ever. He the, there was a prop bet plus seven fifty, which if you don't bet, that's for every hundred dollars you bet, you win seven hundred fifty. There's a guy who bet fifty thousand dollars and then went streaking. It cost him $1,000 to get out of jail, so he netted $374,000 from streaking. Until they break his legs. But his legs were fine. Right. I'm not talking about the people on the field. I'm oh, talking about oh, the bookies. <laughs> yeah, the bookies. <laughs> but, all right, sorry, we're distracted, though. But so. that, that was the best story of the Super Bowl, yeah. for sure. And he's going to need insurance, which is a good pivot. Good yeah, pivot to talk it. about who for our those guest kneecaps. is. Yeah, really good, really good pivot. So our guest today is Steve Lekison. He is the co-founder and CEO of Branch Insurance, an insurance firm founded in 2018 and headquartered here in Columbus. And Branch's biggest differentiator is the ability to bundle home and auto insurance faster than anyone because they're the first company to sell it online with just a customer's name and address. And Steve came together with co-founder Joe Emerson. Correct. Nice. Nailed it. Joe Emerson, after spending 18 years in the insurance industry with firms like Allstate and Insurance, we're excited to have Steve on the show today to talk about Branch Insurance, what the past few years have been like and where they're heading in the future. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Steve. Thanks so much for having me, everybody. Yeah, it's great. So, to have do you. you insure kneecaps, or is that would that be a new policy? That would be a new line okay. for us. We have not insured any kneecaps. Actually, just one. Okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, can you just walk us through? I guess your background. I know you spent a lot of time at Allstate, right? Yeah, I grew up at Allstate Insurance. Uh, started my career while I was a sophomore in college, uh, taking claims at night from customers when bad things happened, and grew from there into their te- technology organization. I was going to school for tech. Uh, realized that tech wasn't going to be the front line of helping that business win, and so moved into an underwriting function, and then product development, and uh, underwriting strategy, and eventually. Uh, Allstate acquired eSurance, which was a direct-to-consumer business that sold auto insurance. They wanted it to sell more than auto insurance and shipped me out to San Francisco to build what became the first online home insurance business in the nation. So talk about even taking a step back before that. So you're originally from the Akron area. You grew up, you went to Kent State. Is that right? I did. I went to Kent State. Uh, I grew up in Hudson, Ohio, uh, just outside of Akron. Uh, and uh an Ohio kid all my life until uh, in my working age, ended up in Chicago for five years and then San Francisco for about three. And then I boomeranged back to Cleveland as we were having more children. And uh, and I was working out of Jersey City, you know, just outside of New York, uh, commuting from Cleveland for about five years. More children? How many is, how many is more? More. So we were, uh, my wife was six months pregnant with our third when I quit to start Branch. So we got three. There you go. There you go. How often were you making that commute? That's not a short trip from Cleveland to Jersey City. Uh, Usually every other week or so, or at least commuting to one of our offices every other week. Uh, But uh, no, it wasn't a short commute, although I got really familiar with uh, that uh, 6 a.m. United flight. So you go out to San Francisco, right? And you're you're doing this first online home insurance, right? And what is that experience like? I mean, how do you even go about setting that up? And what year is that when you do this? Yeah, so we started the build in 2012 and launched it the very end of 2013. And it's 
nothing intuitive about how you would go about starting. First of all, we weren't really certain people would buy home insurance online, right? I suppose you're, it's always that way as a first, but the homeowner's product is well known, right? Invented in 1950, insurance company North America, like that story is pretty well uh, told. Uh, but what we ended up having to do, and, and so I was the first person there uh, to do it, was define what technology would need to exist, what the business economics business economics of the product would be. And this is the part where people really understand very little about insurance. I mean, why, why should they understand it? Um, but what are you trying to achieve and how will you go about it, right? The two biggest costs in the cost of creating insurance are the cost of paying claims, right? We all kind of fundamentally get that idea, and the cost of acquisition. And that's less well understood. But if you thought about how an insurance policy is made, you'll have a product that is uh, has kind of the biggest amount of acquisition spend when there's a company who's both marketing, advertising, and pays their agents. And agents is really interesting. Uh, agents can be a wonderful thing. They are a lifetime acquisition expense. You don't have that in a lot of businesses, but the agent gets paid as the policy ages forever. And so the direct method, right, direct to consumer and what I had built at eSurance, having come from an agency-based business, was uh, you have an acquisition spend that's typically based off of digital marketing, direct mail, you know, marketing traction channels that, that we're all familiar with. And you take that acquisition cost and you predict the persistency, right? The lifetime of a policy and you amortize that cost over the expected lifetime. And so the customer's price will just be burdened with that fraction mm -hmm. for each policy period. And so, you know, these were the types of things you had to figure out. And then even for someone who'd been 12 years in insurance, like how it actually all works was still somewhat news to me. Uh, and I think you'll find that with people that are in our industry because it's a business of exceptions. It's a business of corner cases. And there isn't an easy way to MVP. It's highly regulated. And so by the time you're allowed to come to market with something, you have to have checked the boxes so that you're not driving complaints to the governor and so that you're doing the right thing for consumers according to the regulations. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you have to consider all of that as you build. I think... When we built this, I think it was 60 million lines of code, if I remember it, uh, for launch. You know, a single state, a single product. Having a chance to do it a second time, it's been not nearly as heavy a software exercise, but uh, a tremendous amount. Uh, and that's all short of the talent. So building the team, figuring out how you're going to pay claims, uh, and how can you do that in a digital way was all part of that kind of pioneering build back in 2012. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. The goal of the of the model that you were building was to go more direct to consumer for home insurance to maybe a bad way to describe it, but cut out that that agent that you have to pay in perpetuity. Am I catching on to this right? Yeah, Josh, just um, clarifying, the goal wasn't so much as an end around the agency force. It was much more that there was a growing part of the population 
that saw value in doing it themselves. And maybe not even just seeing value in that, but having an option for a lower price point. You know, I think the the 35-year view of our marketplace, and if I go back further than that, so if I start 100 years ago, right, 99 years ago, State Farm is founded. So I'll give you some sense of where we are. State Farm was founded on the idea that farmers should have cheaper insurance. And this is in a time where, you know, we're kind of just post the dawn of the automobile. And U.S. consumers are paying a somewhat same price, no matter what insurer they went with, because there were these structures we called bureaus that made the prices, aggregated the information so that we had a sense of what the right price is. This is a a construct created because we used to go through these boom and bust cycles where all the insurance industry would go out of business at the same time after a big fire. Different story. And and so um, State Farm's original innovation was it turned out that in the cities where there was congestion and little regulation, no street signs, no stoplights, there were a lot more accidents. And farmers shouldn't have to pay for something that they weren't causing, right? This is a segmentation, a risk segmentation and a fairness issue. At the time, 1922, fully a third of the U.S. population were farmers, occupation farming, according to the census. And so for a huge portion of the population, they provided a lower cost product to the marketplace. Right. Just before that, you know, if we we go back 70 years prior, the dawn of the agent had occurred. And the reason that agents were created was because during the westward expansion in the United States, the insurance industry was fully in Philadelphia, Hartford, Connecticut and New York. And as the population moved westward, there was no way to uh, underwrite them. And we created an idea of an agent, and an agent was truly an agent of the insurance company that had the full powers of underwriting and claims paying and distribution and went with the population shift to create, you know, the imperialistic uh, outcome that the insurance companies of the time desired. And so, like, if you move through this, you know, these two data points— in one case, we created an agent to solve a problem that then grew embedded into the regulatory model, where over the years, the insurance industry has done bad things, right? I suppose you can go back in time and say that about any industry. But Not podcasting. What's that? Not, Not podcasting. podcasting. Okay, I'll, I'll double, I'll fact check that one later, Josh. <laughs> uh, but, um, but in that, uh, we've had a lot of regulations grow up around us. Um, to ensure that we're not doing bad things, to ensure that the consumers are treated fairly in a business that's very difficult to understand, very complex. We predict the future as a, a core uh, a product that we provide. And so the agent need evolved. It became embedded in the regulation as a, an advice provider. Like a person who's not licensed isn't equipped to advise someone else. Uh, and fundamentally, then they took a cut, right? In any uh, in any business, in any uh, supply chain with intermediaries, you know, every mouth must be fed. And so, what we've had, you know, going back to the beginning of this long story, is on a thirty-five plus year basis, you've had companies like uh, Geico and Progressive Direct, who have offered a remarkably similar or same product as the rest of the industry, the agent-based industry. And they offer it direct. Even going back further, USAA has been doing this since the, the 20s as well. Uh, and, um, you know, those businesses will have a different value prop. A lower priced product because of a lower cost of creation 
but it'll come with a different style of advice uh, and uh, different models can be better for different people, but that's some sense of why it exists the way it exists. Did you study history in college at all? Ah, uh, no, not that I remember. That was remarkable. Yeah, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I feel like I have a really good background on the evolution of uh, the insurance industry at this point. I never really assumed that State, State Farm, Farm was farms. for farmers. I was yeah. completely surprised. I thought by it was that. just like some random name. I was like, it all it all makes sense now. It's all adding up in my head. You know, if if we're going to talk about that that moment, uh, you know, I still maintain the greatest innovation in in my marketplace in the last hundred years, though it's ninety nine years ago. But the reason that farmers insurance exists mm -hmm. is it was a published knockoff of State Farm's business model with a slight twist. Mm -hmm. The reason Country Financial exists, the reason the Farm Bureau insurance companies exist, the reason Grange here in Columbus exists or Westfield uh, uh, further north. But most interestingly for me as a non-Columbus native, Nationwide was founded by a guy named Murray Lincoln. Murray Lincoln, super neat guy, grew up with uh, in love with cooperatives. You know, I think he's actually from Connecticut, but ended up in Ohio as the president and, and uh, I'm not sure about founder, but president of the Ohio Farm Bureau. And when George Mahurl founded State Farm, the Farm Bureau Bureaus were naturally cooperative. They were cooperatives. Um, and then especially in our Midwestern states where you'll find a lot of insurance because of this moment that nationwide petitioned, this is pre-nationwide, the Farm Bureau of Ohio petitioned State Farm to come to Ohio, solve this problem the farmers in Ohio have. Like, we don't have money to give away. Uh, and for whatever reason, and I don't actually know the answer to this, but I'm still trying to, to learn it because I think it's really interesting. The Ohio Department of Insurance, the commissioner of the time, according to Murray Lincoln, blocked State Farm's entrance to Ohio. So instead... Murray founded Nationwide, paid State Farm to license the business model, and State Farm sent employees here to create Nationwide Insurance. Like truly uh. a cooperative, but like what's funny about it, and I, I've known Nationwide for a long time, Nationwide has been trying to beat State Farm for decades, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. actually like if you go all the way back, one came from the other, which is not weird State in our State Farm created, created their, own, uh, their own rival. Exactly. And- and that's not weird in insurance, right? Geico is actually made up. Uh, Leo Goodwin, who founded Geico, was a USAA employee, mm -hmm. right? Or even branches named after one of my favorite insurance history stories, uh, where um, the Mutual Assurance Company uh, for Protection uh, of Homes by Fire, for protection, it's a long title, was a spinoff of the Philadelphia Contribution Ship for Protection of Homes by Fire because the Phillies stopped underwriting homes that have trees too likely to burn if a fire started, uh, inaccessible to the new fire brigades. And the mutual assurance company, which became known as the Green Tree Mutual, uh, a part of uh, where Branch's name comes from, bifurcated the price, price with trees, price without trees, and solved the eligibility problem because insurance was meant to serve all. I mean, and I love that story, but it's not weird for insurance companies to create insurance companies. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. Basically, at a fundamental level, when I think about insurance, I think, okay, I am going to charge you X because I believe that the worst case scenario is I have to pay you out Y and the percentage chance of that happening is Z. 
So I have to make a calculation based on roughly those costs, plus acquisition costs, plus everything else we talked about earlier, and figure out what I should charge you and everybody else who needs this insurance and make sure that I have enough in there that it, it just, the, the mathematics of it is incredibly complex. Let's say actuarial science is like the hardest set of examinations to make it through to mm -hmm. become a, a surf. And then, I mean, that's all of insurance, right? Just tons of actuarial scientists, you know, calculating behind the scenes. So go back to, so you're, you're creating this online uh, home insurance direct to consumer model and you build this out. When do you then begin to say, hey, I want, I want to go off and do my own thing? Is it directly after that? No, it, um, it's not right after. You know, the, the wonderful thing about insurance pioneering the homeowner space is we proved that people would want to buy this way. In retrospect, that's not so strange, but it was a, a calculated risk for the company at the time. We proved that it could be done, it could be underwritten effectively, which was a total unknown. I think in every face-to-face -face marketplace, there's always an expectation of how important uh, that human underwriting is involved in the process, uh, evaluation, uh, kind of that blink method of thinking. And we achieved a nice growth rate. I think uh, some years after I left, uh, five years or so old, it was a $100 million business. Uh, and so that it's continued to grow. The downside of it and part of pioneering and, and kind of learning from, from your past is it was 83 questions to purchase. Hmm. A digital experience, 83 questions, multiple forms. And it's kind of like, you know, you look back at the first anything and uh, it's not so surprising. But I ended up leaving insurance entirely or near entirely. And I went to a data aggregator, a company called Verisk Analytics, uh, and Verisk is the largest or one of the two arguable largest providers of data and predictive analytics to insurance underwriters in, in this country, but, uh, but globally, uh, largest in this country. And when I saw the, when I understood what data was available, and, and one of the unique insights I gained in that business is in every vertical, there tends to only be a few service providers, especially in data, to that space. And so if you've ever worked in real estate, you'll know CoreLogic and Black Knight, right? Adam Data, a little bit on the outside, but those two or three. If you're in insurance, you're just going to know uh, Verisk, LexisNexis. Th those are like the big two. And so what you end up with uh, is all of these data aggregators have relationships with one another because we own distribution, whoever you happen to be, you know, you're big to in your space. And so in my time there, I got a really interesting and different understanding of where data existed. And one of the problems in insurance, you know, the natural conflict that we create as our science becomes better is ultimately what we'd like to do is give you your perfect price, mm -hmm. right? So Mike, you were describing like, here's how I think about how they create the price, but we use every manner of predictive modeling to predict this future in an attempt to segment the risk so finely that we're attracting the people who are paying less appropriately with us where they are overpaying with other companies and just don't know it because we're more finely segmenting the risk. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's a long-term game, right? Uh, it's really amplified since the late 90s. Late 90s when we introduced credit-based risk pricing. And uh, so in that, 
as we segment the risk more finely, it means the more data inputs, right? You know, any data scientist, like how much data do you want? I want all of it, right? And Mm -hmm. so then they look to try to find signals in, in all of the information. But the more inputs you add to the model, the more inputs you need to score it. Right. And so we get to this place, uh, you know, as a uh, growing up at Allstate, fascinated by its history. I've got a copy of the 1932 Sears catalog at the office up the street. And Allstate started as a direct to consumer uh, insurance company. It was a wholly owned subsidiary of Sears, named after the f- world famous Allstate branded Sears tire. And so Allstate was this huge line of auto parts uh, and insurance became one of them. And the application for insurance was, I think, seven questions on a full color coupon in a black and white, you know, few hundred page Sears catalog. But since that time, we've grown auto insurance to need, you know, roughly 100 100 to 120 different variables in order to appropriately price your risk, Josh, different than your risk, Mike. Uh, His risk is more. Josh's risk is more. Um, You know, we can look into that if you want. Uh, But... uh, Uh, No, that's probably right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so, like, that makes it that that much harder to make a frictionless experience. But if you understand data well enough, there is enough data to create an incredibly sophisticated pricing segmentation without asking the information of the consumer. And that was a huge part of the insight that we had when we started Branch, which was we can provide you prices for insurance, not quotes. Quote being this this antiquated idea where the price changes as I interrogate you further. And we only give prices. And after just a few seconds, uh, once you've given us your name and address, we will have gathered information that takes all of that customer effort out of the shopping experience. And for the first time, you can buy home insurance or car insurance or get this bundled advantage discounted insurance because you bought two things from one provider instantly. So I might have missed the leap there, but how, how are you guys able to take from uh, those mass amount of data points and boil it down to just the name of the addresses because of you have the data on the back end to know that individual already? So we don't have the data already, but we've got uh, an algorithmic uh, method of acquiring information. It's really hard to do, right? Uh, and I say this like with a lot of uh, experience trying to do it. Uh, but what you end up doing, you know, if I ask, ask you, Josh, like, what's your name and what's your address? What I need to know about you in order to appropriately price your insurance is I need to know your credit history. I need to know your prior claims history. I need to know what kind of coverages you buy today. I need to know uh, what your driving record looks like. Um, You know, all these information uh, points are very predictive of your propensity for future loss. And so I can't get those pieces of information with just your name and address. I might need your driver's license number. I might need your social security number. I will frequently need your date of birth. But consumers don't want to give me any of that information, right? It's like, how much, how deep do I want to get in this and how much time do I want to spend? For homeowner's insurance, you know, most consumers pay their homeowner's insurance through their escrow servicer. And so now I need to ask you your escrow account number. Like, who knows what that is and or even where to find it? And so, like, you know, the thing that we do that's... Um, well, a thing that we do that's very unique is the algorithmic method of data acquisition in lieu of interrogating our, our prospective clients. 
So I didn't give you exactly a straight answer, Josh, on how it's done. Uh, it's part of the, the special sauce at Branch, but we expose a good bit of it to you. And if you want to try it when you get a chance, um, you know, put in your name and address on ourbranch.com and we'll expose a bunch of the data back to you, you know, so that you can ensure that it's uh, correct uh, and accurate and uh, we'll let you change it. Uh, and that will affect your price. But every price you see is purchasable when you see it. So I think we made a jump here and, and we didn't really talk too much about you know, how you and, and Joe and anybody, any of the other co-founders were just you and Joe to start or was it, was, it anybody it else? It was involved? just me and Joe to start. So how does that all come together? And, and can you walk us through like the first, like just taking that leap and, and getting started? Man, Mike, it's a hard leap. You know, I had, like a lot of people had been growing my career professionally uh, and it was going really well, <laughs> right? Um, you know, we were having uh, a lot of interesting experiences and we were building our family and I had come to this moment, you've heard me talk about a number of these data points, but I grew up in a company that um, had been shrinking customers for a long time. And that was frustrating, uh, right? We were strong, we were smart, we were well-resourced, great brand, but uh, we weren't as special as we must have once been. And I didn't know why. And this is where my love of uh, the history of our market had started. And then I got a chance to GM a business that um, that was in the part of the market that was growing. And then when I saw the economics uh, and saw the breadth of data, I knew from my prior experience how to structure an insurance business that could leverage that technology. And I had finally felt like I had answered a fundamental question, which is how did big insurance companies become big? And I had given you some of this already, but there were only two ways. And my, my scope of research was limited to the last 250 years of insurance in the United States. But it's really hard research because no one writes this stuff down, like, because who would read it, right? Uh, no one publishes this. This doesn't fly off the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, and so the answer was you could either serve an underserved market typically at a nice profit margin, repurpose that margin to a new niche and do it again. And that was such a good description for the original version of AIG. Uh, you see many hundreds of companies like this, uh, you know, locally in Ohio, we've got companies like Great American or Cincinnati Financial. But the big brands, you know, in personal insurance all grew up, uh, took market share, uh, created a market at a time where they had a less expensive price for a uh, similar product. And so when these these four experiences came together, how can you make insurance less expensive? How would you run a direct insurance business and how would you build one? And then how would you structure uh, the product technologically to, to have a differentiated ability? I had a tough time sleeping. And like, I sleep really well. It's one, uh, I think there's a group of people that, that generally sleep no matter what's going on. And that that's me. And so this was like yeah, Mike. So that's, this is really strange. But I'd be up at night and uh, I'd be writing out uh, the financial model. Like, how would this work? And it caused me to start thinking about um, building. Uh, and my family and I were at the time getting ready to move to New York because uh, uh, I had been promoted again into the president of the business I was a part of. Great business, great people. But this was keeping me up. Like, this was you know, really somewhat consuming outside of the job and my family life. 
And so I started talking to my wife about it. And, you know, I mentioned that she was quite pregnant and like our liabilities were getting bigger. We were kind of counting on uh, the increasing paycheck that had been increasing and, and uh, we were getting ready for a huge life change. And I kind of, you know, offered to take the rug out from under all of that. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, my wife, uh, a powerful woman, very supportive and, you know, said she thought she thought I should go do it. And so I started searching for uh, how would I capitalize the thing? Insurance is, you know, part of the reason that there's been so little innovation in insurance uh, in the last hundred years is the barriers to entry have grown and grown and grown, right? The, the predominant one. And like there was a boom of insurance companies happening consistently from about 1800 to about 1920. But what the regulators continued to do is add to the amount of capital you needed sitting in the bank. And that alone made it much more difficult and in a lot of ways a lot better because people would come in unscrupulously and take premiums and, and leave with the money, uh, as you might imagine. But that means those barriers to entry being high means that the capital need to go in and make an impact is also, you know, significant. And because, as I mentioned, there's not really an MVP capability, you kind of have to build the whole thing uh, before you know if you're onto something. And so, you know, for these reasons, um, you know, venture capitalists had not been so convinced of insurance as, a, as an investable asset class for a long, long time. And that changed starting about six years ago, you know, five, six years ago, there's uh, a new asset class called InsureTech, uh, which we're considered a part of. And uh, and as FinTech has believed to mature in a lot of ways, insur insurance as an industry has been seen to be slow and stodgy and uh, have a lot of opportunity for that tech, you know, disruptive effect that leads to massive uh, growing valuations and market share taking. And so, I knew we had to go that route. Uh, you know, I think part of the how you think about capitalizing, first you have to decide what you want to achieve. Uh, and for me, you know, I wasn't looking to become the next billionaire. I was looking to change a marketplace. Uh, I was looking to have a huge impact. And because um, I was already having fun at work. Mm -hmm. But uh, once I had decided, I thought venture capital was the way, uh, I'd gotten some advice that said, you might think about a technical co-founder. And I thought that was a great idea. I mean, uh, I didn't know my way around starting up. I'd been a corporate guy my whole life. I mean, you guys uh, have been around this space much longer than I have. Uh, and so as deep as I am in insurance and consumer shopping behaviors, um, I just didn't know this space. And it is a real skill set right? Starting a company, uh, raising capital, especially a skill set I didn't have. And so I started calling friends, assuming everyone was happy in their current lives, because <laughs> I suppose that uh, the optimist view, um, but I called an old friend of mine, uh, Joe Emerson. Joe had successfully co-founded six companies. Uh, the last one was a company called BuildFax. And BuildFax was the first aggregation of building permits from thousands of U.S. jurisdictions. Uh, and so what Joe did is he cleansed and structured that data I mean, uh, in, every, in every type of format, right? 
PDFs, uh, CSVs, handwritten notes. And every U.S. zoning jurisdiction has their own design for what information they'll catalog and collect. And so, like, he had this interesting task of how do you automate this data acquisition process, uh, cleanse structure, and sell it. And he sold it primarily uh, to insurance companies and hedge funds. And I was one of his first big, I think I was his first big insurance company customer. Mm -hmm. And then we did deals again at every next company I was at. Uh, Ultimately, funny enough, uh, my old company bought BuildFax after Mm -hmm. both of us were gone. Um, And and Joe's a fantastic human. He's the smarter of the pair of co-founders. but uh, great human, uh, background in, in mathematics and English, uh, went to Yale Law, never practiced, been on Jeopardy. Uh, you can look it up. He, it's always embarrassing when I tell that story for him. Uh, so I'll do that. Um, <laughs> Did but, he win? No, he didn't. He didn't win. He did great. Um, I, I tell him it was like uh, he ran into Rosie Perez and foods uh, that start with the letter Q, if you've seen White Man Can't Jump. But, uh, but yeah, he did great. And... Joe's been a huge proponent of cloud computing before it was popular. Now he speaks about serverless. And so you can find his uh, online video of how to build a serverless insurance company. Our tech is amazingly progressive. It's a huge benefit to us because the way we're building this is it's built to be efficient for the long haul, right? Branch's mission is to make insurance less expensive so more people can be insured. And a part of how we do that is we use the superpower of instant underwriting to bring insurance offers to people in moments of relevance. You'll find us in places like Rocket Mortgage. We had press uh, jointly with ADT a few weeks ago. But in these moments, there is no home or car insurance without another transaction. That transaction was buying a house or buying a car, right? You've created new risk that you seek to transfer so that you don't have to worry about the uncertainty that life can present that can wreck your whole financial future and send you back to the beginning of your positive life's trajectory. And so we partially, we attack the expense structure itself. Most people don't realize only 50% of your insurance premiums and home and car insurance pay claims. It was always intended to be a much more efficient design than that. But the other way that we attack this is we build in a very tech progressive way. So as we scale, the expenses of the business don't scale with premium at the same rate. And all of this is built to make insurance less and less expensive for consumers and have the experience be highly delightful. Uh, we, We reintroduce the old idea that insurance is a communal product. There is no insurance product of one. That's a bank account. And if you have enough money to rebuild your house if it burns to the ground in your bank account, you don't need insurance. You might still want to have it because you don't want to risk that money in the bank, but this is how the product works, right? We won't all lose all the time. And so we can pool our resources and back my to your comment, Branch's model is set up that it can be as efficient as it could be. And so the way we think about doing good is twofold. One is we make the product less expensive. And we do that uh, in a really unique way because we're predicting the future. But when we take in more money than we uh, needed to pay claims, as we gain scale, we dividend it back out naturally. And we do that in a really interesting way too. But the other way is we're built to combat the financial exclusion problem of uninsurance. There's about 30 million US drivers that drive uninsured every day. 
It's not that they're just trying to shirk the law or their responsibility or that they would like the risk of getting pulled over or getting in an accident so that they can't afford it. And the good that insurance does for society is it allows us all the chance to progress without having that uncertainty that something derails it entirely. Um, but there's a huge portion of the population, about 13% of consumers that fundamentally underinsured or uninsured, depending on the product line. And Safety Nest is a byproduct of Branch's method that's built to combat that problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, a really exciting and great reason to wake up every day, aside from changing the way insurance is distributed. You said 30 million every, every day? 30 million U.S. drivers, correct. What, do you know what percentage that is of people that drive every day? It's about 13% of U.S. drivers. In, in Ohio, you know, very state to state, right? Some states like, you know, Michigan has uh, some of the highest insurance prices and in car insurance in the nation. Their percentage is much higher where Ohio is quite a bit lower. I think we've got about 500,000 drivers in Ohio. Nothing to be proud of, yeah. but yeah. Uh, not uh, market leading in the wrong direction. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, like, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. So to wrap up what you what you said in a bow a little bit and make sure I understood it right, you kind of talked about up until this point, insurance companies have either grown through becoming more efficient and effective in the in the value chain and lowering costs or differentiating themselves by by niching down, then taking that capital and, and allocating to another niche and then growing to a point where they have multiple different segments of the population underneath their belt. And you guys at Branch are basically taking the cost mechanism by making the process more efficient and effective through technology and then also bundling two types of insurance at once to deliver it quickly and at a more comprehensive package to make it cheaper? Yeah, yeah. So insurance is always complex, <laughs> So, uh, but you're right. Um, that was a 35-minute elevator pitch, <laughs> so. Yeah, um, Josh, to, so two, two pieces of, of clarification. One is... Uh, yes, um, we're actually doing a little bit of both of the methods. We're the only insurance company that will allow you to bundle digitally. And so if you go back to how I explained that the product's price is a function of uh, both the claims cost and the acquisition cost model, you know, the reason that Geico and Progressive Direct have taken $60 billion of just auto market share over the last 35 plus years is they sell the same product, it's just got a lower average price point. That's appealing to many consumers. And Branch, for the first time, will allow people to do that across the bundled need. There hasn't been a method to buy home and car insurance uh, in a digital structure, you know, without the agency expense. Branch also distributes through agencies. We love agencies. Uh, every consumer has a different need on how they'll seek advice and what they'll uh, desire to purchase. And so Branch's price will reflect the, ac the acquisition cost structure by distribution channel. But the flywheel effect 
Josh, I probably wasn't so explicit because it's instant for the first time. Imagine that you were a mortgage lender and your customers had to prove to you they had home insurance. And when they told you how much the home insurance cost, you could then determine how much you could lend to them because it's a part of your outflows of cash calculation, right? Debt to income. But you've wanted, you've had this method for decades where the consumer has to leave your acquisition process, the home closing process, go find an insurance company, buy it, or get a firm quote, right? Not like a, not like a quote, but actual a real price. So go through all of the effort to purchase and either bring that price to closing and have it paid out of escrow or bring you the price and, and bring you the, the proof that they bought it. And in either case, you still needed that number just to finish your underwriting, let alone you can't close on a federally backed home loan unless home insurance is on the property. And so all of that describes a series of mortgage lender and customer effort, generally friction. And no one would introduce what's the normal 100 to 200 questions to get a firm price into their own process. Just let the consumer go handle it. They know we expect it of them. We're going to require it of them. But it elongates the duration to closing on a, on a home. And for a consumer, it's just a lot of paperwork, right? Like I have to go keep solving these things. I've got this complex thing I'm trying to do. I've got this relatively simple thing I need to do. And I just need to keep doing things to get the thing I want done. But in a very objective world, like what if there were a hundred smartphone insurance commercials during the Super Bowl? And the expectation is when you went out and bought that new iPhone, that you would then think of one of those hundred Super Bowl commercials you saw of one of a hundred different smartphone insurance companies and go buy smartphone insurance. That's actually kind of strange, right? Because you didn't need the insurance until you bought the smartphone. So why couldn't I just figure it all out there? And what Branch allows people to do for the first time is see a real offer for insurance in a moment of relevance, in a convenient moment, because it's instant. We don't disrupt any other flow. You can literally buy insurance as fast as you might want to satisfy the need that you had that was that was the actual transaction. You, you know, insurance is actually, it should be much more like infrastructure. It's necessary, but it should be largely invisible. Why should I have to think about it? Why should I have to expend so much of my own energy? And this is the this is the real insight: is that by taking all of that customer effort out, we could advantage that transaction to the consumer's benefit if we can bring it to you in a relevant moment and make it very easy. And what's really neat and becomes magical about this is when we take that friction out for other industries, it frequently doesn't cost us as much as advertising on AdWords or through Facebook or on TV would cost. And what Branch does that's that's very unique is we change the cost of that insurance policy because that consumer didn't cost as much to acquire to the benefit of the consumer. And so every time we can bring you insurance in this differentiated way, you have the ability as a consumer for high quality, easy and convenient, but less expensive insurance. And that's the way we think the future of insurance distribution will be. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, Hybeck. It's actually just me and Tim in the booth because, well, Josh is on his way over to the restaurant right now. So unluckily for us, we don't get any special treatment. I don't think he's bringing us back a pizza I don't or think anything. so. I'm a little jealous. We love Hybeck. I mean, I go there all the yeah. time. 
their hot honey pizza they got going right now. Yep, that's Man, what I was that gonna say. As soon top. as we had them on the episode, I called in before they even left and ordered it and picked it up on the way out, and it was the best. We're talking about the restaurant, but High Bank's a lot more than just a restaurant. They distill whiskey and gin and vodka. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they brought in a couple of different options for us to try recently, and I really like this Midnight Cask. It's a mixture, I think, of whiskey along with a port wine, and it kind of tastes like a Manhattan, but it's like double the strength. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, listen to the episode. I mean, the story behind the organization is great too, so. Yeah, it's a bunch of local entrepreneurs that just have a passion for making good food and great drinks. They just launched a thing called the Whiskey Society too, which I joined, and if you really like booze, it's worth checking out. It pays for itself just in the entry fee, and then you'll get cards for drinks every month. They put on events. Right now, they're on Zoom, but teach you how to make drinks, tell you what to use, why you use those things. It's definitely for the whiskey enthusiast. I've enjoyed my membership so far, that's for sure. So if you guys like High Bank, if you're looking for a restaurant, somewhere to watch the game. If you're looking to put in an order for a pickup, check out High Bank, man. Their food's great. They're great people. Yeah. And we love their drinks. And get the hot honey pizza. Get the hot honey pizza. I promise you will love it. All right. Now back to the show. What are the long-term goals for Branch? Where do you see the company here in the next three to five years? Do you have a vision for where you want it to go? Yeah. uh, Mike, it's a great question. I suppose I'm comparing in my mind all of the different plans that we've had that Mm. we've, uh, you know, continued to throw out and update and iterate from. Uh, I think the easiest way to think about it, you know, this home and car insurance is, you know, just under a $400 billion a year market in the United States. Our goal would be to allow consumers access to a less expensive product and Very generally, we sell Branch makes its own home, car, umbrella, and renter's insurance. Those are the core PNC insurance needs for most Americans. And so we think if we did this right, we get to scale pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. uh, a decent scale. You know, the the point of scale where we don't uh, rely on on invested capital any longer to subsist. That benefit that uh, privilege of growth is because we're differentiated and we don't know what the limit is to that growth. Actually, you know, I I would believe based on um, the historic references I have that um, if it's as important to consumers as we think it could be uh, or would think it should be, uh, that it's a, a, a tens of billion dollar company with enough time. Time is super critical element of this. You know, the beautiful part about a good insurance business is your customers don't shop you all the time. So even if um, even if I had a massively better value prop, State Farm still has 95% annual retention. That's a 20-year lifetime. Those are great customers. And so it takes some time uh, for that market to shift. That's why, as I mentioned, Geico and Progressive Direct, it's a 35 to 40-year view but 20 points of market share shifted that direction. It's mm-hmm. quite impressive. If I thought about you know, that market moving from a higher cost structure to a lower cost structure, which is how Buffett defines Geico's moat, right? They have this uh, low cost business model that the agency-based businesses haven't been able to react to. Branch's business model takes the cost structure down further. And it's really, you know, this is the thing that we think can be of long-term uh, super powerful and very difficult to replicate. So, uh, you know, Mike, I'm not giving you any specific numbers. I just- uh, Keeping the options open. 
you know, it's funny because, you know, we're in the business of predicting the future. That's what insurance pricing is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, today we're really excited to be growing very rapidly, Um, but the sky's the limit and home and car insurance is also not the limit. Yeah. And Columbus is a good place to be building an insurance business. So, uh, well, Steve, it's been, it's been great talking to you so far. I think good place to pivot towards our last question of the show. Let's Josh, Tim, you guys got any other questions? No, I think we're all to the last one. All right. Well, here we go. And our last question is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? You know, it resonates uh, really strongly with me. I I think one of the observations I had, um, you know, years ago in my career is my favorite people to hire were the people that were uh, comfortable with uncertainty, because all of creation, creating new, is about uncertainty. And if you really like certainty, which is funny to say as an insurance person, like we're notoriously, uh, you know, what, there's a movie about a, a guy who can't take any risk, right? But, um, but that ability to be comfortable with discomfort allows a person to create things uh, that other people wouldn't see. And if they saw, they wouldn't try. Right. It's so easy to talk yourself out of things generally, uh, unless you have that bend. Uh, I think it's uh, a hugely beneficial characteristic to humanity, uh, but not easy to uh, not easy to be good at. Awesome, Steve. Well, hey, again, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show, talk about Branch, tell your story. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, everybody. Yeah, and Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. That was Steve Lekas, co-founder and CEO of Branch Insurance. If you enjoyed that interview, you want to hear more just like it, hit that subscribe button down below. And uh, we appreciate y'all tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.